Hello and welcome to Out of Curiosity. It's our podcast where we try to bring biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Garland. This is Nick. And uh, as we look at uh, Matthew chapter 22, it's one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. Uh, we're in Passion Week, so Jesus's final week in his earthly ministry before his crucifixion. And the Pharisees have, have really ramped up their attack on Jesus. And one of the things that they do is they they pose a series of tests to him, a series of uh, cultural and theological questions. They actually ask him, they ask him a government question, they ask him a theology question, and they ask him a legal question. And all of them are attempts to trap Jesus. And it's amazing watching Jesus's ama his ability just to respond to their questions. And he asks them one question that they can't answer, which is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Uh, but one of the questions they ask Jesus is about taxes. Always a go-to at a party. Everybody's favorite kind of question, sure. taxes. Yeah. And so it brings up a question that will be the subject of this podcast. Uh, how is a Christian to understand the separation of church and state? And is that even a biblical concept? Matthew chapter 22 is one of your favorite chapters in the Bible. Love that chapter. Why am I talking about That's it? It's a great chapter. You got it. I'm really intimidated now. <laughs> so they come with this question uh, and they ask him, should we pay taxes to Rome? Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And it's a trap. It's a, it's a question that Jesus answers either way. He, he's in trouble with the people. Uh, and it's pretty obvious why saying no would be a problem. So Rome is an empire that, that rules over Israel. So to say no to paying your taxes, that'd be the beginning of an insurrection. He would be a rebel. Uh, that obviously would get him into trouble with Rome. Uh, the more interesting question, I think, is why would that be a problem for the Jews? For Jesus to say no. And Don Carson has some great comments in his Matthew commentary on this. And, and what he points out is that for Israel, there is no framework for paying taxes to a foreign government. And part of the reason is because Israel had been a theocracy where the, the religion and state are completely merged. And so your taxes are going to what we would typically think of as state things like building walls and uh, funding the military for defense and that sort of thing. But it also is going toward religious things like restoring the temple. And so in Israel, the king is responsible for making sure the temple is taken care of. And so this kind of what the, the separation that we would typically imagine of church and state doesn't exist in Israel. They're completely merged. And that was really common in the ancient world. Um, a victory for Rome was a victory for the Roman gods. And so this, this, this idea of the separation doesn't exist. They're completely merged. And so to the people asking Jesus this question, they are asking him to separate inseparable things. They're saying you are either throwing your lot in with Rome, the pagan evil empire and rejecting the God of Israel, or you're going to throw your lot in with us, reject Rome and risk being killed. And Jesus does what they don't expect. He separates them. He separates what had been inseparable in their minds. He says, yeah, go ahead and give to Caesar his taxes and give to God what's God's. Mm -hmm. And he's content drawing a separation where they weren't. And, and there's a, this isn't a full theology of government Jesus does here, but, but I think what we can take away is it seems like, and books upon books have been written about this answer, what is Jesus saying? But at the most simple level, I think we can say that Jesus is comfortable saying that secular governments do have a claim on the people of God. In God's sovereign plan, as he's arranged things in, in Acts, um, he says that God draws the boundaries of governments and he puts people where they are on purpose. And so these governments are God's sovereign people for that time and place, and they have a claim even on believers in that land. So thus, render to Caesar. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give him his due. And God has a claim 
on all of his people, they cannot be violated by Caesar or the government. And so he is drawing, there are these two spheres of responsibility that a believer has that are distinct. Mm -hmm. And one is not negated by the other. So, and this is maybe even a, a new concept for a Jewish person to understand. Probably a new concept for a Jewish person to understand is that there can be a separation. So I think our modern concept of separation of church and state may have its genesis in this answer of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So that in the letter to the Romans and in 1 Peter, um, they are able to say, honor the emperor, pay your taxes, give respect where respect is due, because these government leaders are servants of God. And, and we might, in our kind of evangelical American culture, imagine a president as a servant of God when he's an evangelical Christian. Right. That's what it means to have a servant of God in the White House. But you remember that probably, based on our best dating, Romans and First Peter are written under the reign of Nero, who was nuts. I mean, he's, totally nuts. he's the yeah. picture of a crazy, tyrannical leader. He's the worst emperor. Non-Christian. Non-Christian. Pagan worshiper. Pagan yeah. worshiper um, murders everyone in his family who's a threat to his, his rule. Uh, just really horrible guy. So this is the emperor that Paul and Peter are talking about when they say, honor the emperor. Right. And the, it's this government, this government that is run by Nero is called a servant of God. Which means we're talking about something other than a Christian who honors the Lord. Right. In some way, in God's servant, sovereign purpose, secular unbelieving government is still part of what he's ordained to be there. And Christians have a, a responsibility to honor that government. So a question becomes, and this is the nature of this podcast, out of curiosity, how then, if that's the situation, how then is a Christian supposed to respond when the secular government that they find themselves living under, whether that be the American government of the 21st century or pick your government in the past, how are they to respond when the government and the governmental authorities do things that violate their biblical agenda, their biblical conscience. How do we navigate this in our culture today? Sure. It's an important question because there is biblical precedent. Because remember, the, the other side of the coin, to use a terrible pun for the passage, nice. um, yeah, is that there's render unto Caesar what Caesar's, but also to God what is God's. Mm -hmm. And so in the same way there's an obligation to, to the government, there is an obligation to God that the government may not violate. It's not allowed to violate. And so we see this in the book of Acts when the rulers, the, the Jewish leaders, tell Peter and the apostles to stop preaching. And they say, who am I going to listen to, man or God? Mm -hmm. And so the principle here, and I think we see it uh, exemplified by Daniel when he's told not to pray, honor the government to the point that they demand that you disobey a command of God. Okay. That's not the same thing as honor the government to the point where you don't like what they're doing. Right. That's a key distinction. That was going to be a question I was going to ask you is, how do I know the difference between violating my biblical worldview or my biblical command or just my conscience or really just my preferences? Sure. Uh, Ed Clowney, who was a professor at Westminster years ago, he had a principle that I think is really important. He says, your confidence in a particular application of Scripture should be as strong as it is a direct application of Scripture. Mm -hmm. So... Um, if you feel uh, convicted about clear sexual sin that you should stop, you can be really confident that that, that is clearly uh, outlined in Scripture. That is from the Lord, and that's a command. If, Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Yeah, so if you feel um, convicted that you should move to Indonesia and be a missionary because of the Great Commission, 
that might be exactly what God's leading you to do, and that might be a great way to obey, but we can't say that that is an absolute command of God that you would go to Indonesia. That might be how the Spirit's leading you. So one thing I would want to ask is, how direct is your conviction and application of Scripture? And so uh, I think that's something that we really got to wrestle with and be honest with. Um, so to say, that, to say that simply, like, when the Scripture is very black and white and clear, yeah. we can have confidence yes. that that is something that if the government asked us to violate, we would hold, we would hold firm, we would, yeah. we would resist. If it's something that the biblical principle may be something that is in principle, but yeah. the application of it is, is unclear or vague or it is, it is cultural in how we unpack yeah. it, that is something that we may hold a little looser. Yeah, so for example, you look at the Daniel example. Daniel is told not to pray at all to God. Clear violation of what he's commanded to do. What about a teacher who's told not to pray out loud in his public school classroom? Mm-hmm. Now, is there a direct command that tells teachers that they need to pray out loud in their classroom with their students? Right. So it might be someone's personal conviction that they would love to be able to lead their class in prayer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm not sure that somebody has biblical grounds for disobeying the government over that particular application. Now, the go- what the government can't do is tell them they're not allowed to pray at all. And we see that with Daniel. We see that with Daniel. <laughs> if, if they told a, government, a, a, a public school teacher, you cannot be a Christian and you cannot pray and teach here, it's going to be a problem. That's a problem. Yeah, it's gonna be a problem. If they say, hey, we want to draw a line and not pray with your students in a classroom because you don't know their faith conviction, um, I'm not sure that I don't think we have biblical grounds for, uh, for rebelling against that law. Even if we don't like it, we might not think it's a good law. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean we have grounds for disobeying it. Interesting. So uh, what then does it look like? And this is maybe we're getting down to the nuts and bolts of this. What does it look like to, as Romans tells us, 1 Peter tells us, to honor the government, to honor the government authorities if we just don't like them or if they don't meet our sensibilities? Uh, So what's fun about this is if you look at our last four presidents, they're, they're quite a range of personality and policy. And so I'm guessing anyone who listens, if they go through Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump, is going to have one of those presidents they really didn't like. Wherever you are on the it's spectrum, likely. it's yeah, likely it's that you're not going to think all four were stellar. You're going to have one that really, really bothered right. you, wherever you are on the, the political spectrum. And so, yeah, I think that's one of the real questions. What would it look like to honor that guy? Mm-hmm. Pick the one that you like the least. I think it's important to remember, first of all, that these commands that were given were given under Nero. And chances are, any of those four, I think I can say with conviction, they're not as horrible as Nero. Okay, they, hadn't, they haven't done what Nero did. I'm not going to judge their heart. They haven't done what Nero did. Okay, and so if, if Paul and Peter could say that about Nero, how much more could he say that about any of those four? that we want to pick. And I also think Daniel's a really interesting example because Daniel is serving in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. He's one of the top aides to the ruler of the kingdom that destroyed the temple of God. It's hard to, I mean, he's the enemy of God's people and Daniel's asked to serve in his court. Responsible for bloodshed and killings and death, probably even of Daniel people Daniel knows. Right? Yeah, Daniel's friends. I mean, this guy gave the orders, Mm -hmm. and here's Daniel helping his administration succeed. 
the humility, the the grace, and then probably the self-restraint of that. Yes. I, it's difficult to even imagine. And, and, and it, you get the sense reading uh, the book of Daniel that Daniel genuinely longs for Nebuchadnezzar to know Yahweh mm-hmm. and to experience health and prosperity and everything to go well for him. Um, and I think of, you know, the, the analogy to parenting in a similar way, you know, what happens when you have a believing kid with unbelieving parents that are not honoring the Lord? The, the idea would not be, hey, set yourself against your parents and work to make everything they do fail until they repent. Right. We would not give a kid. Right. Now, I've, we've, we've had students that we've worked with who that's been their situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had a student who was a believer whose parents were, whose parents were not, and he, he was being actively encouraged by his parents to do sinful things. And, and he had to navigate how to honor his parents while walking with the Lord in a holy way. And part of the purpose of that, same thing for spouses, when you have a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse, part of that honor actually is a witness to the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's actually a witness to who Jesus is when you can honor perhaps your enemy. Mm-hmm. Because that's what Jesus did for us. Maybe no, maybe no better picture. Maybe no uh, better. If, if you think biblically, then the grace Daniel's able to show yes. uh, emperor that was so violently cruel yes. uh, to him and his people. Yeah. And, and, and so we have this, this inclination to think in really black and white terms of our political leaders. Either there are our saviors that are going to right all the wrongs of our country, or there are antichrists that are going to bring about the downfall of our country. And we have to put them in one camp or the other. And we feel like if we don't agree with something they're doing, we have to oppose everything they're doing. We have to want the failure of their policy and their families and everything about them to go badly for them. Uh, and we have to just oppose them absolutely. And we have this kind of contamination view of government that if we give anything good to someone we disagree with, we're responsible for everything we do. Mm-hmm. So if they have 20 policies and we like three of them and we dislike 17, we actually have to pretend like we hate the three so we're not accused of right. being on their team. Right. And then we're even scared, um, and I think this goes back to that give unto Caesar what's Caesar's, the fear of, of many Jews was if I pay a tax to Rome, I'm responsible for what Rome does, including funding the army that's occupying Israel. And Jesus separates that. Jesus separates that. He says, you're not responsible for what Rome does with your taxes. Mm-hmm. You're responsible for honoring the leadership in place over you. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a point there to which we are responsible for honoring those in leadership, speaking truth. And in America, we're in a system where we can vote, and so we can, we can give voice to what we think is right and good, and then also honoring the leadership that's in place. And so I think a really interesting question, we don't have a framework in our culture for Daniel. Right. But I think it's fascinating to ask, could we do what Daniel did? Pick your least favorite president, the one that you just cannot stand, and if that president appointed you to a cabinet position in his administration, could you go serve that president, help his administration succeed and win to every point unless he asked you to do something that caused you to directly disobey Scripture? Mm-hmm. Could you honor and serve him that way? That's the model that Daniel gave us. Um, that's what it looks like, I think, to love and serve our enemies. Um, and it, it's a pretty, pretty radical view. We live in a protest culture. Right. That feels like we have to protest everything. Outrage. Outrage, yell and scream. And if we're against somebody on one thing, we have to be against them on everything. And we're running out of heroes anymore. Uh, everybody's a bad guy almost. And it's hard to, hard to find anything to be for. We're so against everything. And so I think um, that this separation actually helps us to see at the end of the day, these political leaders are just humans. 
sovereignly put in place by God and actually in need of the gospel. They're in need of grace. And the ones that we think are the most broken might be in most need of our grace, Mm -hmm. in most need of our love and support up to the point that they ask us to violate scripture. Mm -hmm. And that's where we we draw a line. Well, this has been really interesting, really helpful. Uh, It's definitely something to think about for, uh, I know, me and all of us. So uh, thanks for joining us on uh, Out of Curiosity, where we hope to see biblical clarity for modern questions. Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity as we discussed if separation of church and state is biblical. We encourage you to look into this for yourself even more and recommend looking in scripture at Matthew 22 verses 15 through 22, Romans 13 verses 1 through 7, and 1 Peter 2 verses 13 through 17. We also recommend the books Onward by Russell Moore and the Expositor's Bible Commentary on Matthew by D.A. Carson. If you want to send in a question or contact us, Go to OOCuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at OOCuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.